podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to your post-match Raw on Anfield Index Pro. Podcasting to you from my field here in beautiful rural Ireland. I'm Trev Denny. And joining me to give their immediate reactions to Toulouse 3, Liverpool 2 in the Europa League are Dave Hendrick and Carl Matchett. Uh, Dave, we've decided uh, in our... Um, in the interest of self-preservation of our mental health, we're going to keep this one very short. Mm. So I am going to go straight into one of the usual routines of the show with you. And then I'll do a second of our usual routines with Carl. And then we're going to jump straight in, into the match analysis. So we leave all the analysis, all the incidental stuff until then. And I'd like you to talk me through um, the Liverpool team. And Carl, I, I'm, I'm very aware that I'm giving you the, uh, the, 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 the lesser of the tasks there in terms of um, having to say anything about Toulouse but we will like I say in the interest of brevity for our mental health get this done as quickly as possible your thoughts on the Liverpool lineup Dave we went Kelleher Gomez Matip Kwanzaa Simicus Elliot McAllister Endo Doak Gakbo and Diaz should have been enough there easily to, to put in a far better showing than that lot managed yeah, should have been absolutely enough. Um, I, I didn't like the decision to start Ben Doak, and we can talk about why when we start going through the game. Um, I was actually more surprised by the bench because it was reported that Allison hadn't travelled with them and that Cade Gordon was with them but not part of the squad, and yet there they both are on the bench. Um, I would have liked to have seen Jota start and just go at them and try and get the game wrapped up within the first 60. But he started Ben Doak because that's what Jürgen does. And uh, it, it left us with a front three that didn't really have a goal thread in it, which I thought was an unusual decision from the manager. Um, I liked that he started Endo with McAllister as an eight. And I, I, I thought it worked fairly well until Endo sort of lost the run of himself. The, the back four should have been more than enough to keep them out. And yes, it, it was not, not, not by, not even by a long, a long stretch. No, and as we say, we'll 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 look at individuals there. Our countrymen had a shocker, in my opinion. Oh and, yes, we'll uh, be talking about Cleveland, don't you worry. We certainly will. And young young Kwanzaa didn't have his best night either. We'll uh, have a look then briefly at Toulouse, Carl. Um, they were restes. They had Dessler, who was very high energy, shall we say tonight. Costa, Nicolaisen, uh, Diara, Suazo, Schmidt, Sierra, Caceres, Donham, and Delinga. And all of a sudden, the likes of Delinga, Suazo to an extent, and freaking Donham looked like world beaters against us tonight. On their bench, they had Sissoko, they had Jelaber, they had Kamanzi who came on, Alebi, uh, Begray, Magri who came on to some effect, and Bangre, Kevin, Dominguez, and Lacombe. 
talk to us a little bit about them and how in the name of Christ are they so much better? Or did you think it was quite simply the fact that Liverpool were an absolute shadow of uh, a fraction of what they can do? Yeah, I'll tell you why they were better, uh, Trev, is uh, really, really easy. And we've heard it a thousand times before um, because they worked hard. That That's it. That's the reason. Um, yeah. They had a an energy which they did not have, um, let's say, in the first sort of 20, 30 minutes of the game. And Liverpool had lots of the ball and did not a whole lot with it, obviously. But they were in a shape and they didn't really do too much. And we didn't really have too much problems with them. And all the players you talk because then they started attacking us and running and having some energy and being physical let's be honest all of them were every single one of them in every area of the pitch and a lot didn't fancy it that's pretty much why they were better than us that's why they were able to run us off the ball it's why they were first in challenges it's why they created more things because they played at a bigger tempo and they played at at more intensity and we didn't and it doesn't matter how much better than you are at people if you're not going to put the work rate in to be honest there was an edge to their physicality that I thought was going to result in one of our lot being injured tonight. I'll be honest with you. I thought they were right on that raggedy edge of being potentially dangerous. But like you say, the energy level is what it was all about. And sometimes I think it's easy for us to interpret uh, a lack of um, a, a perceived lack of effort in Liverpool and perhaps then extrapolate out from that and say, well, that's arrogance. Uh, and sometimes that's a lazy shout tonight. However, I think as we get into the match details, that might well prove to be the case, because as you said, Carl, we had a lot of the ball, but didn't seem to have the extra oomph to do anything with it. It was sterile possession for sure. Um Let's you and I start with the match details itself. Let's start into the first half of the first half. And there is a chance on three minutes. It's Joe Gomez with a header off the bar from an in-swinging Cody Gakpo free kick over on the left-hand side. Cody was on set plays tonight while he was on the field. Um, there were... That, Within a few minutes, Toulouse had a couple of corners, um, a little bit of inverted commas pressure on around the 10 minute mark. And it did sort of feel a little bit different, what with their home fans up on Adam as well. There was a yellow then given uh, to Schmidt on 10 minutes for basically throwing McAllister to the floor. And it looked in the early going like Luis Diaz was buzzing with the fantastic news, which we're all delighted with um, about the safe return of his dad after a hellish ordeal they've all been through. And then on 17 minutes, we do have a a kind of a chance. It's a McAllister effort, which is narrowly over after some great play by Doak. Absolutely his highlight of the night, because apart from that, all he did was try to run up players. And that even that maybe two, three times. And it seems to be all he has in his bag. We'll come back to him later. But he does pull the ball back for Cody Gakbo, who lays it off to Gomez. And Joe's cross is challenged for at the back post by Luis Diaz. The ball drops to McAllister just outside the box. And it's a very viciously hit half volley over the top, narrowly enough over the top Um, from that uh, corner because it was a deflected shot. It might have been in target otherwise. John Matted heads an awkward kind of 50p head bouncer over the top. And we're going to finish on 25 minutes with Luis Diaz, who has a kind of a snapshot from distance. It's low, it's well hit, it's got a bit of pace on it, but it's straight at the keeper who kind of parries it a few yards in front of him. And we have nobody close to take advantage of that minor spill. 
what did you make of the first 25 and what would you like to add to my summary there? Not a lot, Trev. Um, look, there, there wasn't enough happened in there. You know, we, we would normally be 25 minutes in and have spoken about quite a few instances of our good play or some people who had clearly been, you know, on their game or anything like that at all. And outside of the Diaz uh, factor, which you rightly mentioned, I don't really think there was. Um, I, you know, I think Gomez had a, a pretty good game overall and obviously him being captain for the start of the game is, is a big deal for him as well. Um, Diaz, I think, was pretty locked in. I was surprised that he started in the end, but you know, I suppose if he's already travelled over there by the time he's got the news or whatever, maybe that's just what he wanted to do. And it was a bit of a, a shoot-on-site policy from him early on, which is fine. I don't mind because, as uh, Dave mentioned, there's not too many others in that start at 11 who are shot monsters, basically, so that somebody needed to be. And Diaz certainly looked like he was trying to early on. Um, but like, too many of them were passive. Too many of them were happy to just pass on a bit of um, responsibility on the ball to somebody else. Too many people weren't. Well, in fact, nobody really was counter-pressing whatsoever. Um, we heard Klopp speak about that at the weekend. That first half against Luton was, he didn't like it at all because there was no counter-pressing, basically. I think that this was even worse, if anything, uh, certainly in this section of the game. Um, you know, It was fine because we had lots of the ball, but I don't really think that we did anywhere near enough with it to warrant being called like the better team or should have been ahead or anything like that. There are a couple of close calls, but you know, really for for pretty much a rookie goalkeeper, we just didn't do enough. Yeah, agreed completely. Uh it just felt lacking on many levels. And Dave, on twenty seven minutes we were given the news that Lask had pulled the head of USG. Yeah. And I'm not sure what happened after that, because obviously I was too annoyed by the events in front of me. Um, and it could have come up on the Chiron. I didn't notice. But basically what that meant was that if we just won this game against uh, an opponent that we'd managed to thump 5-1 in the previous game, then we would have qualified top of the group tonight. If last could yeah. hold on. Now, if you need an incentive, there is, it was there anyway, but all that seems to happen is that from that moment when everything seems to be possible tonight, we go pretty much to shit. There's not a whole lot going on between then and the goal. All I could remember was there was a lovely ball in by, played in by one of theirs from the right hand side. Swazo is sliding in central. Um, he makes it look a little bit harder than it is, and I think he should do much better. It's kind of a great opportunity, if we're being perfectly honest. He's central, he's unchallenged. If he makes better contact on the night, anything at all that went in the direction of the goal is going by Quivian Keller. So they should have been one up there, perhaps. On the half-hour mark, Doak has a powerful half-volley type snapshot straight at the keeper, though, and it's parried away. Um, some nice covering runs by uh, our lot um, on the half hour mark and Endo picks up a yellow on 34 minutes which is a little bit decisive for how the game plays out after that in one way in terms of our tactical shape and in terms of our um, the personnel on the field in the second half we do go one down in 35 minutes now I'm going to pause here because I want to give you a chance to talk about it and anything in between there that I've mentioned um Simicast basically has his pocket picked over on the uh, uh, touchline um, by uh, Donham, who drives straight at goal, unchallenged. Only Kwanzaa is in a position to come mm. to the ball. He does not come to the ball. And in fact, 
then he decides, having decided not to come to the ball, he should probably just have, just have let the guy shoot because who knows what Callagher will do. He has his positional sense at least semi-right. But then Kwanzaa decides it's time to get involved at the last minute, sticks his foot out and deflects the ball past Kelleher. For this one, he has no chance. I think it's uh, fair enough to say that that's not one of the ones I'd be giving out to him about. Initially, I thought the shot had gone straight in and over Kelleher and I was fuming. But I see that that deflection makes all the difference. Talk to me about how open we are, how easy it was for them to run at us tonight and run past us tonight. Um, uh, the concession of the goal and anything else. If you want to fill out a few things towards the end of the half, feel free to do it. Uh, I have a couple I'll mention them before I go back to Carl for the start of the second. So we've seen kind of stuck between two train two trains of thought in that first half. One was <clears throat> the galaxy-brained right back steps into midfield, and we had Joe Gomez and Endo as the deep two, and we had Harvey and Alexis as the advanced two. And that's fine because that's how we play. It doesn't really suit the players that are on the pitch tonight. Well, it doesn't really suit Joe Gomez. It doesn't suit Costa Simicus at all. But fair enough. But then every so often we switch back to just a normal back four. But the midfield rotation wouldn't drop in where it was meant to drop in. Alexis would drop sometimes, but not other times. Harvey would drop sometimes, but not other times, and rarely did both of them drop in together. So we ended up with this weird back four, lopsided two in midfield, one eight just sort of floating about in the ether, and then three up front looking a little bit <clears throat> lost and pointless. Um, I thought Cody Gakbo showed tonight why he is, without question, the smallest six foot three human being in the world. He has no physical presence at all. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. Like, it's incredible. He is 6'3". He could be 6'4". He is a giant human being. And yet he plays like a guy who's about 5'7". I I understand that he takes a decent set piece. But on a corner, when Costas is on the pitch, get the fuck into the box because you're one of the three biggest lads in the team. And even if you're not good in the air... They still have to respect you by marking you. And like, he is decent in the air. He's just not aggressive in the air, but they have to respect him by putting someone on him. And that can create a little bit of chaos in itself and maybe open something up for Matip or Kwanzaa who might attack the ball a bit, a little bit better. Now, Joel's attempts to attack the ball are the stuff of myth and legend as we've seen over the past seven years that he's been at the club, but he can still attack the ball. So I didn't like any of that. I didn't like the fact that Ben Doak just seemed to be out on an island. And look, I've spoken about him before. He, he's a kid. I don't want to criticize him. This isn't a criticism of him. But there's no end product with him at all. He had one really good run. The first time we actually got him involved in the game, which was probably 10 minutes into the game, he did really well. And then we kind of ignored him after that. And then the few little flits of the ball he did get, he doesn't produce anything. So they go back to ignoring him. Diaz, I mean, yes, he must be in a, a joyous mindset after the release of his dad, but surely his brain is just full of thoughts of, I can't wait to see my dad. I can't wait to talk to him, make sure he's okay, you know, whatever. So I don't know that he's 100% focused on the game either. So that front three is a bit of a mess. The midfield, 
again, we're doing two different things and neither of them are working all that well. And unfortunately, the biggest loser of this shape is Costas because he's not suited to it at all. And that goal largely happens because we're trying to be galaxy brain. He's trying to bring the ball out as the left-sided centre-back because he's also expected to be the left winger. So he's trying to carry the ball out to give it and then go on the overlap when all we should really be asking him to do is pass out from the back in that position. But he gets his pocket picked. Dunham does really well. And he just, and literally he just runs. He doesn't do anything fancy. He just runs in a straight line. The goal is there. I'm going to run at the goal. And if one of them comes out to challenge me, then I'll figure it out. And no one comes to challenge him. And I understand that there's been a lot of praise for Kwanzaa, and rightly so. He has been very, very good. But he's clearly been watching a little bit too much of Virgil and decided that he somehow has attained the Virgil aura. Because what he did was very much what Virgil does. The difference is Virgil has that explosive burst of over the first two or three yards. So when he decides to involve himself, he involves himself very quickly. Kwanzaa doesn't have that. Kwanzaa takes a while to get up to speed. So when he decides he's now going to interject in proceedings, it's almost like a lethargic lunge to try and block the ball, whereas Virgil would have been explosively going to meet the runner. And it hits his foot and it goes over Callagher. Queeving has no chance. Now, I'm sure we're going to talk about Queeving a lot tonight, but... You can't blame him for the first goal. That's that's the be-all and end-all. Costas deserves most of the blame because he's just he's far too lax, far too relaxed. And that was something that was prevalent through the whole team tonight. Like, we spoke about it against Luton, how they turned up and kind of expected to win. And it felt like that tonight as well. Like, oh, we can prick about here. We'll eventually get a goal, and then they'll have to open up a bit more... And then we'll get another goal and then it'll be put to bed. But what happened was we didn't get a goal and then they opened up and then they just ran all over us because we didn't have any fight or will in that team. Like they're lads who've turned up tonight expecting a fairly easy evening's work. And all they've ended up doing is making an absolute clown show out of themselves. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch? and those must-have fan threads. Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. It's very, very frustrating when you think about that last sentence you said particularly. I'm thinking about fellas and application, and I'm thinking about someone like Endo, um, you know, who gets his opportunity again. And I, I want him to be absolutely on fire. I want Ben Doak to be this revelatory talent. I want 
the usual suspects to raise their game. And it's missing. And and what happens immediately after the goal is that Endo pretty much screws himself over five minutes Mm. later with a silly late tackle. Um, I mean, it basically would have made up the manager's mind that he needs to go. He needs to be hooked. Um, That was what did it. I'm convinced of it. Because like you, I don't think he was that awful. I will say, I will say that on occasion, he does look like he could get absolutely monstered by a physical player. Oh, yeah. And, and he's, he's no he's no speed. No. There's no but speed he, but and even he's not proud, even, even McAllister, lower center gravity sticking yeah. your arse out, Kane Douglas style strength. He and doesn't have that Endo either. doesn't do that. Endo almost plays. like Because he's only about 5'10". He's not a big guy. But he almost plays like a much taller player who's got a different center of gravity. Like Alexis is not that much smaller than him. And yet Alexis is, is, is blocky and squat. Endo looks like he should be. He looks like he should be a bit of a unit to knock off the ball, but he doesn't play with that same low center of gravity that Alexis has. He doesn't have that kind of core strength, which is really weird because in certain moments you see it and you think, oh, that's really good. Like he's gone in, he's used his body well and he's won the ball back. He had some lovely passes tonight. There was one where he dropped back in, picked the ball up off Matip, turned around and just fired it through the lines right into Alexis's feet and got us moving. And you're like, that's exactly what we need. More of that. Like that's what we're looking for from that position. And then there's other times he gets the ball and it seems like he doesn't actually know which foot he's meant to kick with. Like he does this weird little kind of shuffle thing and then he'll play like a five yard bobbly pass to somebody that has no real conviction in it. And it's almost like he just wants to get rid of it. He's a, he's an odd player. Like there's definitely pros to his game. I just think the style of football we want to play is a little bit too much for him. I think the pace we want to play at is a little bit too much for him. Well, it's funny you say that because I watched him and I was thinking of when I found myself playing in a level that was too much for me. And what you do is you have that nervous shuffle about you when you get the ball and you want to move it quickly and safely. And that's all you want to fucking do. Yeah. And it ju- he just has that feeling that perhaps... And I don't want to write him off because I really want him to be good because I don't like unlike an awful lot of people. I don't think we're going to do anything in January and I think we're going to need these players. And so I want him to be better than he is. But there are too many signs that he's not. And Carl, I want to bring you in here on Endo. But also the last remaining incidents I've mentioned here. And it's worth mentioning them because they feel they're, they're by two players who then are hooked along with Endo. So your thoughts on Endo, but also on 42 minutes, after a very, very unimpressive half, Simicus finds himself in a position to hook over a cross. And it is appalling. It's literally just atrocious. Too nobody, too strong, over the dead ball line. Doak. I want to talk about Doak. And again, this is not about jumping on the head of a young player. This is not about anything to do with that. But I want you to tell me what I'm not seeing, because what I fear when I see Ben Doak is that he is in the old school, almost like a one trick pony. He gets the ball. He's, his his instinct is to go directly at the opponent and then try to cut it back or do a little kind of quick move to be past them, heading for a dead ball line or heading back in the way towards the box. 
And that seems to be what he does when he could have simply laid the ball off a couple of times. Now, I understand that's a young player wanting to impress. Like, I actually get that. I don't blame him for it. But I'm, I'm hoping, because I, I, I haven't seen much of him apart from this, and I'm wondering, what is it that I'm not seeing? But we couldn't find a rhythm, Carl. We should have been choking that team, but we couldn't do it. We were starting to get a little bit outplayed, outmuscled. Uh, they were first to most of breaking balls and stuff like that. So your, your wrap-up thoughts in the first half, but if you wouldn't mind just visiting on Endo, Simicus, and Doak, because that's the last chance we get to talk about them. <laughs> yeah, which says quite a lot about the game, doesn't it? And uh, about their performance levels, to be honest. So uh, Simicast, look, Simicast and Endo actually will we'll, can touch on together because you used um, the word before about you want to see a bit more application from them. And mm. while I know the way that you're intending to use that word, it it should have been a different kind of application for them today, like an application to be playing at the weekend, basically. Um, obviously, with Alexis suspended, Endo should be first in line to come in and play that number six role. Did he play well enough tonight to say that he should play in the Premier League? Did he play bad enough tonight that he su- should suggest that he shouldn't be in the team at all anyway? I don't think getting hooked at half time because of the lack of discipline, and you mentioned the yellow card, he actually made another foul straight away afterwards, which I think is a big part of the reason why he was uh, taken off as well. Um, it, it wasn't good. It wasn't, it wasn't, like we said before, there, there was no aggressive uh, play from Liverpool. There was no real intensity about many of the players whatsoever. Um, Endo lost all four of his ground duels today, which, you know, for a player who's basically playing the defensive mid role, is is not really acceptable, to be perfectly honest. Um, Alexis, I think, lost nine of 11, I think it was, I read. Um, that may be maybe one or two out, but Jesus. around that level. And that's, you know, our midfield today as a whole, um, not just those two players, but in the roles that they were playing specifically, it's obviously very, very important when none of the rest of the team were being particularly diligent about the defensive work, let's say. Um, so Endo, I think, missed a big opportunity today. I think even in the past, and there were a couple of times, like they said, where he turned and would fire a ball and would play it between the lines. But overall, I think he was too safe with it. In, in the role that he had with the amount of space that he had, I wanted to see much less passive play from him. It's, it was an opportunity and we needed the tempo raising. And I think he contributed quite a bit to keeping it lower, to be brutally honest. Um, Simicast, I think, was just poor overall. Uh, he, he just didn't really look locked in. It, you know, I get that the individual mistakes can and do happen to, to people during a match, but he's had a little bit of a run now of games. He's been, you know, had a, had a, a bit of a rest of the weekend where he didn't have to play the full 90 minutes. He should have been come back in today wanting to put in a very, very good, diligent performance, making sure that he was doing things which he can do correctly. And he didn't. Like, really simple stuff, like simple passes, like the crosses from decent areas, like overlapping at certain times. And these things weren't really happening. So I don't have too much sympathy for for either of those two being hooked at the break, to be perfectly honest. Um, and with Ben Dog, I think, you know, a little bit about wanting to bring senior players on, so not entirely his fault, but... I understand what you're saying, that you haven't seen too much of him. One thing we've brought up previously is that we've never really got to see him like playing from the left-hand side, where he's able to actually exactly. cut in and be on his right foot. Um, that, it just seems... it Because he, he's not a Mo type of wide player. He's, he's more Diaz than Mo. And it just seems like it would more make more sense if he was used off the, the left-hand side. But just on Costas, like, there is a pattern with Costas. When he makes a mistake... 
he's he's always going to have a really bad five or ten minutes afterwards, <laughs> always, because his head goes completely. And literally everything he did after that mistake for their goal was an absolute shambles. So as soon as that goal goes in, I'm saying to myself, he's gone at halftime because he's going to be a disaster until halftime. He's not going to turn it around beforehand. And Jürgen's just going to go, well, that's enough of him then. Yeah. And it's unfortunate for him because, you know, he's not really had an extended run at the club other than that little spell where Robbo had the ankle injury a couple of years ago. And he did quite well in that spell. There have been times when he's been the better performing left back. Yeah. It's replaced straight away. And we've That's that. the thing. And his confidence must be just shot to pieces. And even in this little run here, like I know he hasn't been great, but just the fact that Klopp dropped him for Luton and played a right footed centre back out of position instead of him that like that has to hit it now i'm not saying it was it was the wrong decision by Klopp. i think it was the right decision but it just it has to hurt his his confidence and he does seem like very much a confidence player which is why he has these extended bouts in games where everything he does you're just looking at him going what are you doing like what are you doing here why why have you done that why have you decided to cross from there why is that the pass you've picked why haven't you closed out in your man? You're allowing a cross into the box here, or you're hanging a lazy leg out. You're going to get yourself booked. And he does these things every single time he makes a mistake. Look, we needed to address the holding midfield role in the summer. We didn't do it. I know we signed Endo, but he didn't address anything at all. We needed to address left back as well. And instead, we gave Costa Simicus a new contract not that long ago. And that decision now looks absolutely mind-bending. Isn't it strange that we're talking about two players who, whatever about their confidence levels, and they're very valid points, um, and both Endo and Simicus, um, actually, and also Ben Doak, because as you boys point, point out correctly, uh, it's not his most natural position. But both of those boys, the, the more senior fellas, um, the lads who are closer to 30, um, if not actual 30 in the case of Endo, do stupid things. Simicus has it in him when his head goes to do stupid things. Endo's tackle, like the, the stamp which got him the yellow card is one thing. But then after we go one down, that silly late tackle, which should have got him another yeah. yellow and sent off. That is actually daft. It's, it's, it's silliness. And we need proper, um, cool, calm and collected types in that midfield. The type of fella who can get a, a yellow card in minute one and just keep playing and being an like incredible... Fab. Like Fabinho. Remember Fabinho in that, in that game at home to Barcelona? He gets that ridiculous yellow card for the foul on Suarez, even though it was actually the best tackle anyone's ever seen in their lives. Yeah. yeah. And, then he, and then he just put in a 10 out of 10 performance after that. And like Endo, Endo makes that... Like he looked distressed when he got booked. A holding midfielder should just take that in the chin and just not even flinch. Like, we see Rodri regularly get booked early in a game and just continue to play his game. And yes, he, he'll be a little bit more cautious, but he doesn't let it affect him like the way it did with, with this guy. And I understand that, like, Liverpool was an enormous step up for him. Like, he was playing for a team that were struggling to stay in the Bundesliga. A team, by the way, that are now third in the Bundesliga, having sold him 
and Mavroponis, and that basically he alone basically funded their summer transfers, and all of a sudden their team transformed. But he's gone from struggling to stay in the Bundesliga to playing for a team with real ambition, and he's done it at thirty. Like it, it just it was an odd signing at the time. He might have made sense on a free, but we paid quite a bit of money. So it's not just that we want him to work out, Trev. We need this guy to work out. We paid 20 million or something for this guy. Yeah. So like he has to work out or it's a real, a real stain on the, 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 the talent spotting of, of the manager who's the one that was behind this transfer. I, I don't know. It was a weird transfer at the time and it looks weirder now. And like Carol's right. Like this weekend, Alexis is suspended. We also play City then after that. And. Personally, I would rather have a defensive midfielder in there against City. But this guy doesn't look like he can play in the Premier League from what we've seen. He's no. A in the Europa League thus far, but like, you know, this is, this is twice now where he started games and been hooked early because he's just not performing at the right level. And the thing with the, with that foul that you mentioned and Carl mentioned as well, it wouldn't surprise me if the referee went to Jurgen at half time and said, look, you may take him off because the next foul, he's off. Yeah. Whatever it is, he's off. Because that, that does happen quite regularly. Oh. Where because it's in the first half, the referee will give him a little bit of leniency, but he'll say it to the manager, like the next one and he is off. And yeah. that might have driven the decision to take him off because he was going to get sent off. There's no question he was going to get sent off. Well, the ghost of Rodri will appear later in the show. I'll tell you that for nothing, for a different reason, and we'll get there. And Carl, if you and I start the second half together, um, we there's a grandiose gesture in the shape of Mo Salah, Trent Alexander-Arnold, and Dominic Sabozlai coming on, um, or at least. It looks very like Dominic Sabozlai, but I have a feeling he was kidnapped at least a week ago and replaced by a changeling. Um, Simicus goes off, Doak goes off, and as we said, Endo goes off. And all that happens is that they come out with their tails up massively, um, very encouraged by what they'd managed to do towards the end of the first half when they started to play a little bit and have a little bit of, of ambition. And instead of us coming out and looking to assert our authority, it was the opposite way around. They came out and they very much did the uh, thing that we were hoping to go. Um, so the main incidents I want to talk to you about will lead right up to the second goal. And on 47, that's two minutes into the second and a half, Dalinga plays in Swazo makes a total mess out of Kwanzaa and Suazo contrives to miss straight in front of goal. A horrific play by us. A bad moment for Kwanzaa. On 49 minutes, there's a corner for them which is headed downwards and goalwards by Nicolaisen. And then they have the ball in the net for a second time on 50 minutes. Delinga robs Joe, uh, Joel Matip and fouls him in doing so. It is very clearly a foul, but he takes it on and finishes it very nicely. McManaman decided that it was very tight in the BT commentary. It's not. It's a foul. But I guess the damage is kind of done psychologically because the ball's in the net again and they've already had two chances before that. 
we manage a kind of half hour effort on 51 minutes. Mo kind of almost gets in off a long bomb of a pass from Trent. And Dave mentioned these the last day on Raw, and I did myself these Hail Mary balls. If that's what we're all about now, if that's what Trent's reduced to, we're in trouble. We, we know he can do them, but there has to be more to it than that. Mo is dragged by the by a defender and barged into by the keeper. Just by the by, Colin might point that out. He's down on the deck, actually hurt for quite a while, but apparently that's grand because it's Mo Salah. On 54 minutes, there was a ball flicked in by Dom Zabozlai towards uh, Luis Diaz, but he can't quite control it. Now, he goes forward lurching. Uh, we didn't get to see a replay, so I don't know was he pushed or foul or what, but he, he couldn't get the ball under control in the central position. And then, Carl, in 57 minutes, we are 2-0 down. It is Dalinga. Um, in the same position that Sinicus uh, uh, was, Luis Diaz finds himself outnumbered by three people on the dead ball line. Um, at least he had a little bit more opposition uh, than Simicus had. Um, there's a great ball played swiftly into Dalinga. It's a really good pass. Dalinga managed to get pa- between our centre half. So, again, sorry, but Jarrell is there in the mix, as is Joel. And his finish is first time and brilliant and crisp and goes in off the base of the post. He's helping the ball on the way it's come. It's a really, really, really good finish. However, when you see it going past Kelleher and you see Kelleher's movements and position, this is where now alarm bells start going off for me. I don't think that beats Allison. I could be a bit harsh because it is a very good hit. I'm interested in your take on that. And as I said, the opening part of the second half. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, well, I think, um, first of all, important what you said, like we should have come out with a lot more energy intensity. You've got to imagine that Klopp was extremely displeased at the interval. Um, whatever else was said about you know substitutions and that making three subs kind of, you know, suggests you've not done a great job here, lads. So, you know, things need to be better from those who are remaining on the pitch. I I must admit, for all three of them who came on at the break, I kind of got the impression by their performance um, of exactly what they've said before, that they thought that they could, you know, play the nice game and eventually things would happen for them because they're better. And that, that just that very, very rarely happens unless you happen to score the opening goal quite early on or whatever. That That's just not really a thing in football. Um, especially not when the other team actually have something to fight for and are actually willing to fight as well, which, as we've mentioned, to lose very, very clearly were. So um, not a great start at all. Not really any difference in our patterns of approach play. Not really any uh, patterns of approach play at all, to be perfectly honest. 
I, I do think that we haven't really mentioned him because I don't think a huge amount went perfectly right for him, but I do think that one who's maybe exempt from the the effort and intent conversation is Harvey Elliott. And I thought he was willing to do the industry and the work rate. It just didn't really happen for him. He just wasn't very good with what he did. Like a lot of the times there was like he was the one making the, the chase or winning the second ball or trying to take someone on or turning back around and move the ball a bit quicker, but it just wasn't executed particularly well. But he was trying, at least, I thought, anyway. Um, then the chances that they have, I mean, it's just horrific defending all around. I mean, even before the disallowed goal and the goal which wasn't disallowed, they had a, that great one-on-one chance where Trent obviously has to, to come across very, very quickly uh, to try and sort of sort of squeeze him out on his left foot a bit. Um, the one which actually did count, I'm, I'm with you, I think Keller should have done better. It, it was positionally... Quite similar to, uh, I'm pretty sure it was the Toulouse goal last time out as well, where it's sort of low and across him and he turns his body away and goes with his feet, but not very far out from himself. Uh, I thought he might have done better on both of those, the, the Toulouse goal at Anfield and then this their second one as well. But even though I do think that Keller should have done better there, Liverpool as a whole, as a defensive unit, should have done a lot better in not having the ball there in the first place. And Joel Matten here especially, he's, he's looking across, you can see Delinga is in like five yards of space. Kwanzaa is probably a yard too deep at this point, but the, player, the, the striker is behind him, so we can't really see either the line of the defenders behind him or the position of the forward. Matip can see both of those things and does nothing until the ball's already at Delinga's feet, and it's way, way, way too late by then. Actually, I'm just going to stick with you for a sec, because immediately after the goal, the second goal, which could have been their third goal, if we're being honest, Restes smashes Luis Diaz in the box as he's trying to punch clear. He's in bits, Luis. It takes him a while to recover. And again, there's not even look at that. Um, I guess it's fair enough. And in the old way of playing that I was brought up in, it's perfectly fair. But, you know, modern football, who knows? But Carl, the ball's in the back of the net again almost immediately afterwards. That could be potentially 4-0. They cut us open really easily again, and it's just offside from the goal scorer. And it it just had that feel of an absolute shit show at that stage. It was falling apart in a way that was, I don't know about you, Carl, but I was feeling very embarrassed by what I was seeing from these guys who... I've been lionising and saying they could hang in and around there and who knows, they might be able to shout if City could collapse. I mean, Christ alive, that is the antithesis of what we saw tonight. I mean, I agree. It was it was awful. And while I have absolutely no you know redeeming things to say about the performance on the night, I, I do think that a lot of that is down to the absolute lack of jeopardy in this competition. That's just how it is. Because like, Ultimately, Toulouse have had to play at the very greatest extent of their powers and, as you mentioned, on the very limits of what is physically okay to just about get a win and just about, therefore, keep themselves in the hunt to go through. Liverpool can play as badly as this, almost still not get beaten, and it makes no difference whatsoever because we know we'll win one of the other two games and still go through. But there's just no massive incentive here as a collection for those players to go out and put absolutely every ounce in to make sure they get the win tonight. Individually, there is, because as we've already gone over, Endo has got a place in the team to try and win. Simicast should be trying to find really, really good form in this run of games that he's got. There's a few other players out there who are not starters every week and, and should be trying to be, basically. But 
that's that's individually and and when when everybody else is doing the same thing and everybody is not really putting in everything it's just a rubbish performance and there's no overriding need to absolutely make sure that you don't get beaten because there's another two games to come and you're playing absolute rubbish sides in the other games as well so i do think that there's an element of that about it which doesn't excuse anything about the performance at all like you say embarrassing is Probably how I would feel if I didn't feel embarrassed that the uh, Europa League is what we're in anyway already. Yes, but imagine the double down of embarrassment if we end up in the in the um, uh, qualifying round, which we have, which has to be played because we didn't win the freaking group. Um, Dave, there's another person who falls into that category that Carl's just outlined eloquently there of fellas who you'd expect more from and who have an opportunity to try and stake a claim for a first-team shirt, and that's um, Cody Gakpo, who was pretty anonymous. Darwin comes on for him on 72 minutes. Within a minute, we are back in it, theoretically. It's a lunatic goal, an own goal, a big bomb of a ball in. Um, Joe Gomez flicks it onto the back post, and there's uh, two defenders, uh, Caceres and another chap, and the goalkeeper all going for it. It goes off. Caceres, who has got his back to play, I think it goes off the back of his shoulder and in. And then you're thinking, okay, 73 minutes, Darwin's on the field. Maybe there's a kind of redemption arc for this game of football. And within two minutes, Dave, and this speaks to shoddiness of Mm. a kind that I do not ever want to see from a club team again. It's fucking disgraceful. Within two minutes, in a shambles of a situation, there's a ball to the back post, a pullback, which is pawed at by Kelleher. And Delinga actually could have got there first, doesn't. Kelleher paws at it, and all he succeeds in doing is passing it straight into the feet of the onrushing Magri, who's unchallenged at the back stick, to finish it. It is clown car stuff, Dave. Oh, yeah. It's it's one of the worst conceded goals you'll ever see. We've just been given a gift, a way back into the game, and you think, okay, we've got our we've got our vice captain on the pitch, we've got a bunch of senior players on here, and we'll we'll figure this out now. And instead, there's no pressure on the ball. Nice and leisurely flicked to the back post. Our vice captain makes absolutely no effort to do his defensive work, which has been a problem all season. And at some point, we're going to have to have a really, really strong conversation about that fellow because his attitude is a disgrace. And I thought he was an absolute shambles when he came on tonight. Yeah, The ball across is a bad ball across. It's That's the type of goalkeeping you expect from somebody who's not actually a goalkeeper. Like, the goalkeeper's been sent off, all the subs have been used, Yeah. so you've put one of the midfielders in goal because he's tall. That's what that was. That is abysmal from Cuevin Keller. And he couldn't have made it e- easier for Magri. Um, what did you think the, of Keller? What do you think Keller on the second goal for them? Just crap, by the point. Crap. Yeah, and, 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 and Trev, it's, we, we talked about him after the last Toulouse game about the stagnation. It's not a stagnation. This guy is, has regressed. This guy is not as good now as he was in the 21-22 season because he very, hasn't played. He's had a very, very poor season with the games he's had this year. He's been really poor this year. He was absolutely abysmal against Southampton in the final day of last season. 
And for the the people that said, oh, well, we'll get 30 million for him on the market, we'd be lucky lucky to get 10 from now. Do you know what that performance from him tonight and the performance from us tonight reminded me of? I want you to cast your mind back to January of 2018. We're not long doing post-match Raw. Liverpool 2, West Brom 3 at Anfield in the FA Cup where we played in a similar vein as tonight. There was an arrogance to the team where they thought they'd wipe the floor with West Brom. They had, I think, two goals ruled out on the night. Could have been three. One was definitely ruled out by VAR. It's the first game we ever played under VAR. Yes, and the referee used it three times in the first half, and the first half took about four hours. Andre Mariner was, was I think, the uh, the video assistant on the night. Paulson was the referee. And it was a, an abysmal a showing from everybody. But they had a couple of goals ruled out. It was like every time they took a shot, it ended up in our net. And we were just lucky that a few of them got ruled out. It was the same thing tonight. They had seven shots in the game and five of them ended up in the net. Seven shots on target in the game. And five of them ended up in the net. And two of them were then ruled out. And one of them that was ruled out tonight, by the way, was questionable. And he wasn't good on that one either. The offside one, fair enough. But the one with Matip, I didn't think it was a foul personally. I thought Matip made a meal of it, having gotten himself in a bad situation. But, like, that is an appalling performance from Kelleher. Like, that is so poor. That cross is not a good cross. You could just dive on it. And you've not even poured it into an area of safety. You've poured it into an area of onrushing attackers where your defenders are running back and now you're putting it the far side of them. You might as well just caught the ball and fucked it into the net. Is there anything to be said for extra blame apportioning scenes? We're firing um, a few scuds here at the fact that Magri was unchallenged. He was unchallenged because all of our defenders were trying to get back because Trent hadn't done his job. All of our defenders collapsed back too deep because Trent didn't do his job. And they got back to try and get on the goal line. Now, should a midfielder have been tracking Magri? Yeah, probably. But I'm not sure who that midfielder was meant to be because we had absolutely no shape after Jürgen started just throwing forwards onto the pitch. Oh, it just got With reckless abandon. Like Carl mentioned Harvey earlier on. He did, he did work hard and he was awful because nothing came off from him. And then he decided to play hero ball late in the game and started firing in shots. Like, Harvey, you stay in your lane, son. If we want shots from distance, there's other lads who'll do that. And yeah, the vice a, captain he, will give you a prime example of why it's not a good idea. He is a dreadful effort on 80 minutes. One of the worst shots you'll ever see. Yeah, and it's a Lovren-esque attempt. It, it's still uh, sailing out of Toulouse now. It's in international airspace. I bristle a bit at some of the lazy comparisons between... Harvey and the former captain, because I think that's just almost like, well, he's a young English lad. He's all high energy and he's not what we want him to be. And actually bags of ability, like he's got bags of ability. That's it. But now that I call out those three criteria, yeah, I guess it works. But the guy has a lot to offer. Um, But, you know, you say stay in your lane. Mm. He just needs to be tactically disciplined. And it's not really, again, I don't know that it's his fault. No, it's not his fault at all. 
None of it is his fault. Him not being a midfielder and continually being played in midfield is not his fault. Him being empowered to believe that he is the second coming of Messi is not his fault. Like, he has been hyped up an incredible amount since he's about 14. He was about 14 when I first started hearing his name. Like, this kid might make his debut for Fulham in the next few months. I think he was 15 when he made his debut for them. But you, see him, sudden, you see him running a game for the under 21s at yeah. England level. And he looks, he looks like a, a, a like what like he is. Like a season pro. Yeah, yeah, he looks like a season pro. But like, I keep hearing people say, oh, well, like, of course he can play in midfield. Like, Bernardo Silva plays in midfield. Bernardo Silva was 26 before he played a game in midfield. Before that, he played in the wing. Then they compare him to David Silva. Like, First of all, let's pump the brakes. They're two of the best midfielders the Premier League has ever seen. Or sorry, two of the best players the Premier League had ever seen. But they were both wingers until, in Bernardo's case, 25-26. And in David Silva's case, he was near 30 before he played in midfield. They're little lads, though. They're little lads. That's that's, that's that's the extent of the the comparison. And that's the comparison. But like David Silva was also one of the best passers of the ball anyone's ever seen. And Bernardo Silva is rapid. Harvey is neither of those things. So those comparisons are for the bin. But, like, again, he, he is one of the few that did put in a shift tonight. But, like, Dominic came on, and it was almost like someone had said to him, go on and win the game by yourself. And then they also had Trent to one side and said, right, you go on and win the game by yourself. And then they must have had a chat with Mo and said, just don't really... Don't bother too much. Just go on and run about a bit, but you know, keep yourself fresh. Well, I thought Dom was every bit as bad as Trent, if not worse. He was, he and, he, and, he, and he was shocking the last day. So, like, hats uh, hats off. He's well, been our best player this season, but you have to say it when he's appalling. And, and today it was it was wretched. It was wretched, but we're we're only a little bit into the season, and he's already played a ridiculous amount of games for us. Oh, did you hear the stat? I was listening to UP, and um, Cy Brundish was saying that he's already played. He's already played some ridiculous percentage of the allowance that he should have in terms of time on the park for the year at this stage. Yeah. He's he's on track to way, to be way, 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 way oversubscribed in terms of minutes on the park um, by Christmas. And that's a, that's a recipe for burnout or injury. And well, it, he's, had about, he's had about 1,200 minutes for the season so far, maybe a little, a little takeover. Last season, he played 3,700 minutes or so. Yeah. Like, but the, the difference is the Premier League is a far higher paced, far higher intensity type of, of game than, than what he was ex- experiencing last year. Like, he shouldn't have been brought on tonight. I know what, I know Klopp was trying to, you know, rescue the game. And the last result might have played into it because Lask have won 3-0 tonight and they were 2-0 up, I think, at half time. Oh, Christ, are you serious? Yeah, so oh. Jurgen might have been looking at it and think, right, if we just go all out here and win this one tonight, then we can just play the kids in the last two and we're fine. But, like, common sense, Jurgen, like, you've, you're bringing on Dominic, who's been overplayed so far, Mo, who's been overplayed so far, and Trent, who he hasn't been overplayed. But, but he doesn't deserve currently a spot in the team because he's been really poor. But like, we've, we've a few lads that haven't been good this season. Like Cody has not been good this season at all. Cody has been desperate this season. I know he scored a few goals recently, but those performances have been poor. 
and he started the season poorly and then he got injured and then he came back really quick, like quicker than it seemed he should. And he's been poor again. And I, every time he scores a goal, we come on this and we say, well, hopefully now that goal will give him confidence. He'll start to play better, but he hasn't been playing better. He's just continued to be poor. And he was dreadful tonight, like absolutely dreadful tonight. Uh, credit to that centre back of theirs. Uh, what's his name? Costa. I thought he was excellent. Mm. And he, but he bullied Cody. Like bullied him. And it's not like he's a big lumbering fella. He's about the same height as Cody, but he's sticked in. And he just bullied him around the place. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes, and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Yeah, it's frustrating, and I'm going to be back to you for your wrap-up thoughts in a minute, Dave. And Carl, you and I have got still some business to do here because... We bring on Diogo Jota on 80 minutes uh, just after that wild Harvey Elliott effort. They bring on Kamanzi, uh, I think, for Donham, who had scored. And at this point, there's another little bit of a flap from Kelleher. And I'm just thinking, if we need to talk about Trent, we need to talk about Cuivin for sure. But eight minutes after arriving on the pitch, uh, Diogo Jota has us back. 3-2. It's a great determined run and lovely finish across the face of goal. Brilliantly done. It should be too little too late. Seven minutes are added. It's all gone a bit wild and scatty. Darwin's picking up yellow cards. Um, but on 97 minutes, Carl, on 97 minutes, it goes to 3-3. And it is biblically, uh, poetically, Jarrell Kwanzaa who fires home after some pinball in the box. It goes to VAR and we keep seeing replays of uh, Alexis McAllister's apparent handball in the build-up to the play. Now, I tried to count how many passes there were and honestly, Carl, I stopped because I was getting so annoyed because there were so many. Uh before the goal actually got scored. And then the commentators in BT, and this is what always worries me, because these fuckers have a direct line to someone, because this is, after all, showbiz. And there is some direct line that they get information that nobody else has. And they were saying, we're hearing it's a foul. We're hearing they're looking at a foul. Who the fuck are they listening to? Who's telling them this? Where are they hearing this? Anyway, when we get back, um, 
to the to the screen, we see the referee going towards the uh, center of, of the pitch, looking like he's going towards the monitor. Instead, he brandishes a yellow card theatrically, goes back and appears to point to the center circle as if a goal has been given. Within seconds, he's headed back to the monitor. He looks at the monitor and all we're seeing, Carl, are pictures of a very Rodri-esque sort of inverted commas handball by McAllister in the build up to the play. There are several phases of play before Quanza bashes it into the net. To me and my understanding of the game, and I was checking this with you guys earlier on, it's absolute clown cards to go back and rule out the goal for that build up in the build up or for that handball in the build up inverted commas. Whether or not you think it's a handball, surely it's too far back. But VAR rule it out. And it's perfect end to a clown show, really. Talk to us about those crazy last 10 minutes or so. Jada's goal, the Quanta goal, the VAR for, for Ago. So for Jota, I, I'm going to firstly start with that. Um, he, he, he's been rubbish for absolutely ages and he's been incapable of taking on people or moving sharply or having any kind of agility or, you know, decent first touch, any of those things. And I have to say, in the last three weeks, something like that, there have been several instances where he has been the complete opposite of all of those things. I really, really hope that this is him sort of coming to the end of like a long rehab from that calf injury, which is obviously very, very difficult for explosive movement and everything afterwards. Um, because this goal that he scored here showed all of those things again, which he hadn't really been doing for quite a long time. Uh, it was also probably the only bit of individual technical quality that any Liverpool player showed in the match, um, where he picks it up as change of direction. He takes it past basically three players, sort of between two, around another one. And it's a really good finish as well, um, which is obviously the one thing that Jota was still doing, even when not playing well. He was still able to get the touch in the box or the finish in the box and score and assist, that kind of thing. So really, really good from him, albeit just for 10 minutes. Um Still some stupidities from us, even though we had like loads of added time, some really bad decisions in terms of where to shoot from, uh, what kind of pass to try and do. Trent seemed to just station himself left wing, uh, and just stay there for, for most of injury time and just try to, you know, curl balls into the far post. And that, that was all just wait for the ball to come back to him. Um, so all very, very odd and. To be quite honest, we shouldn't even have been in that position anyway, where we were able to go for an equaliser. Um, I think we're, you know, fortunate stroke, you know, obviously good enough, but didn't have done anything in the game to warrant being in that position. The Quanta goal, um, <laughs> God, I, I'm not even going to talk about BT. I've just decided. Um, I tell you what I'm going to do. I, I'm going to read you the actual rules and you can tell me what it is. All right. This Thank is you. UEFA. This is from UEFA right at the end of last season. So for, for going into the new season. For the guidelines for next season, the board recommends that UEFA should clarify no handball offence should be called on the player if the ball is previously deflected from his own body and in particular when the ball does not go towards the goal. That's UEFA's recommendation. So you tell me what happened there for, for Alexis McAllister. It was like mm-hmm. a control off the chest onto his arm. Now, if the referee gives handball there, I don't honestly have a huge amount of problem with it, right? I don't think it's handball. And under these rules, it's probably not handball. But if it's given, okay, fine, because he's probably controlled the ball 
uh, a little bit more with his hand. I don't think you can really, really massively argue against it, right? That's UEFA. IFAB, who actually write the laws of the game um, for for handballs, which I've just now lost in in my annoyance at whether I was going to talk about BT or not. But they, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's an offence if the player. These are the things. If he deliberately touches the ball with the hand or the arm, for example, moving the arm or hand towards the ball. Did this happen? No. No. So if he touches the ball with the hand or arm when it has made their body unnaturally bigger and is considered unnaturally bigger when the position of the hand or arm is not a consequence of or justified by the player's body movement for that specific situation. So he was stood still and controlling the ball, which bounced to him and his arms by inside. So has that happened? No. If anything, the ball is moving downward. So it's, right. he doesn't make his body bigger now. Or it's an offence if the player scores the opponent's goal directly from the hand, which is, you know, obviously handball, that's fine, included by the goalkeeper, again, that's fine, or immediately after the ball has touched the hand or arm, even if accidental, and then they score. Did that happen either? No. Nope. There is no other rule for handball. Can we get this in now? It doesn't fucking matter how far back you go. It's that phase of play, that and that only phase of play, yeah. which is handball for a VAR check on a goal. That's yeah. all. The, that's no, the thing. Like, it, handled it, it in or controlled it, and, and then shot it himself. himself. After that, nothing else matters. Yeah. So the ref doesn't know the rules. The guys in VAR don't know the rules. Don't know the rules. That's, that's the exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. But like the other thing that got me as well is because obviously when they showed the VAR replay, replay to the referee, the the camera, the TV camera is behind the referee, so we can see what he's watching, and they show him one angle which is straight on at Alexis, where it does look like it just hits his arm. Yeah. But you can see it in the other angle that it hits his chest and then onto his arm. And what they also did was they showed him this one angle three times. Then they showed him it in slow motion. And then they showed him a still photo of the ball basically glued to his arm, as if to say, look, it's handball. Yeah. No, it was a stitch-up. I'm sorry. It was a, a stitch-up. Yeah. And like, this referee, now we didn't lose the game because of the referee. We lost, we lost the game because of ourselves. Liverpool cost Liverpool tonight. It would have been nice to get a draw. It would have been good to get a draw, but Liverpool didn't deserve a draw out of that game tonight. Liverpool lost tonight because of Liverpool, but that referee, you will rarely go and watch a game of football where there is a man in the middle who is of more belief that the reason people have paid in on that night is to watch him. Yeah, because you saw the yellow card in the middle of that. Yeah. Yellow cards, the real dramatic thing, talking to players but not looking at them, like staring straight ahead as if, like, don't dare question my authority. The big flamboyant waving of his arms when he's blowing his whistle. Like, Jesus wept. There was there was a moment where, just, just after, sorry, just before he went over to look at the screen, where Trent went to ask him, has the goal been given? And he just starts roaring at him. And Trent gets this real puzzled look on his face. And then the ref starts waving players away. Like, he's the captain. He is allowed to speak to you. That's also in the rule of the game. Because he has an armband on, he is allowed to speak to you at any point. And you have to have a conversation with him. But this gentleman felt he was above any of that tonight. But he'll be delighted because he got to be the decisive factor in the game. He will be thrilled. We have been stitched up tonight by that VAR crew, because A, 
Alexis doesn't score the goal. So therefore, the fact that the handball wasn't seen by the referee in general play means that it is a goal. And B, it hits his body and then hits his arm, meaning it's not actually a handball. He's not trying to make his body bigger. If anything, he's trying to make his body smaller because he's actually trying to pull his arm back out of the way when it hits him. It's a shambolic decision, but it fit the game because we were a clown show from about 30 minutes in. The referee was a clown show from the first minute to the last minute. The commentary was a clown show. When Darwin got his yellow card, the commentator I, I had, which was on the CBS um, showing of it, said, Nunez has lost his head here. His teammates are trying to calm him down. Darwin was literally standing there, bemused, laughing at something. <laughs> and the commentator was trying to make out that he was after losing the rag. It, it was just a shit show. And then based on what I've heard about the BT tonight, like it was just as bad. Carl. They were trying to tell us it was the Toulouse defender who got booked, so don't worry about it. Mate. Exactly. That's how bad they were. Dave, just give us your wrap-up thoughts, seeing as I'm with you, and then I'll go to Carl for his. Um, Queeving <laughs> uh, Mignolet might be a thing. Uh, <laughs> something to monitor moving forward. Um, Trent needs to be fined every time he, A, doesn't do his defensive work, and B, decides that shooting from 35 yards is a better option than passing to one of his teammates. Uh, Dominic might also have to take one of them fines at some point because he had a few ill-advised shots tonight, as did Harvey. Uh, if I'm right, Jota scored a similar enough goal in the first leg to yeah. the one he scored tonight. So, yeah, there, that's that's a positive. Um, Mo should not have played, and hopefully when he got clarted by, the, uh, by their goalkeeper... Uh, which, like, nothing was, was done about that. The keeper's just allowed to come out and clean Mo Salah out of it. That's a bit odd to me. Um, well, it was, it was a tag team. The defender, like, defender shoved him, in. and yeah, then the yeah. keeper came out and just wiped him out. Yeah. Um, all things considered, it, it's just, it's a very, very shitty night, uh, for the Reds because the last result went in our favor. And had we just done what we went there to do tonight and won the game, we would now not have to worry about this competition again until like late February. But instead now we've got to, we've got to win our next game, which um, I'm actually not sure who we play next. Is it union? We play next away. And then we, we, yeah. So um, look, uh, one more, one more point in the next game will put us through. But we want to top this group. We don't want any of that knocking about playing teams dropping in from the Champions League. So Jurgen needs to put a rocket up their holes when he gets them in in the dressing room tonight and back to to the AXA tomorrow. Because that's two two games back to back where the effort level just hasn't been acceptable, where they've been outfought, they've been outrun. And they can point to bad luck. At the weekend it was bad finishing. Tonight it's bad officiating. But the bottom line is Liverpool Liverpool screwed Liverpool. To, to quote Vince, to, to paraphrase Vince McMahon tonight, Liverpool screwed Liverpool. And we have nobody to blame only ourselves for how that game has gone down. Fair enough. 
Uh, I will just mention for you that you will have a million and seven podcasts during mm. the week, so keep your ears out for everything Dave's doing, Two-Footed and Daily Red every day, as well as Scouted with Carl, no doubt ahead of Brentford. And Carl, your final thoughts? Um, absolutely no sympathy for the team um, with that bad decision at the end, other than perhaps Gerald Kwanzaa because it was his first goal or would have been his first goal, obviously. So, you know, you get the the feeling of the goal and the, the last minute equaliser and all that and it's taken away from him but aside from that it's their own fault like we've said all along um, we were rubbish tonight we didn't deserve a draw so um, again I'm just going to go back to the, the, the minimal effort levels from everybody um, you know I know numbers statistics numbers are not everything but they're certainly indicative of, of things that happened or did not in this case and the two players who made the most tackles for us. And it was only two each, so a pretty low bar to, to be the one who did the most. But it was our two 20-year-olds, Jarrell Kwanzaa and Harvey Elliott. So all of those seniors, what are you doing? Because uh, we didn't play well. We should have been doing a lot more than we did. And only those two won the ball back for us a couple of times each. I, f- I feel that that's quite damning, to be perfectly honest. Um, Kwanzaa also, obviously, the player who, who made the... Clearances and interceptions, uh, the most for us, along with Joe Gomez. Um, but numbers-wise, there's not really a huge amount to take from here. Uh, we mentioned the the shots not being great. Harvey Elliott, four shots, none on target. Again, not not amazing. Not something we'd like to see all that often. Um, the only player who uh, made more than one accurate cross in the game that wasn't a set piece was. Uh, the flying left back of the second half, Joe Gomez, who actually made six crosses and four of them found a teammate. So I do think Gomez was quite good um, effort and technically, let's say, but not exempt from some of the defensive nonsense either. So just about our best player, but not a good player, let's say, for the night. Uh, basically, this game will just fade into one of those many, many forgettable ones that you just talk about a few years later. Uh, just because something else bad happens and you say, it reminds me of this game. Maybe it'll be our next reserve goalkeeper. Uh, but basically, as long as Queen Boltdown's not a thing, then I think we're okay for the Europa League. <laughs> <laughs> and from you during, during the week, what can people look forward to? Uh, ahead of the weekend, um, I'm not doing a Liverpool piece because I've done loads of them recently. And quite honestly, it doesn't look very nice reading at the moment. Does it? So I've got um, a done a chat with Daily Blint, actually, who's now playing for Girona in Spain. Uh-huh. Uh, and they are top of La Liga. So I had a lovely chat with him about that and how that's all going and how they've managed to do it. And that will be out on Friday ahead of the weekend's action. Fantastic. Some things to take your minds off the clown show forward slash shit show that was the Liverpool performance this evening. Uh, I know a guy who is very deeply into a huge conspiracy theory that all sport is rigged. And when you see things like that happening the last minute of that game today, yeah, I might go and pick that book up again and have a little glance through a few pages. But like the lad said, it would have been some lipstick on a pig if we're being perfectly honest it was horrendous by the Reds we tried to talk little we ended up talking quite a lot to 70 odd minute show what do you want from us we've done our duty we're out I've been Trev Downey you heard Carl Matchett you heard Dave Hendrick Guy, Guy Drinkle's been beavering away in the background and we'll be back with you for Brentford take care we hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. 
The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash Discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.